there is only one infinity. It is not mathematically sound. So if you double infinity, is it still equal to infinity? <laughs> oh, so that would be when two times a equals a. Oh, wow. Is that true? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Oh, man. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have A.G. O'Neill. I'm still here. We have uh, Jameson Dance. Howdy. We have Tim Caswell. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And we also have a special guest, and that's James Halliday. Ahoy. Ahoy. Are we all going to start talking like sailors now? I hope so. Can we do that and keep our clean rating? <laughs> R, matey. Would we be rated R? Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> All right. So, um, James, why don't you introduce yourself, and then we'll start talking about uh, Browserify and friends. Sure. So, I'm James, or Substack, and I don't know. I've written some modules. Um, all of the I, modules? Not all. Actually, um, a lot of people are catching up. I've kind of got to watch it. Um, there, there are now three people with over 100 modules on NPM. Uh-oh. So, that's kind of that's excellent. But... Yeah, I've written a lot of modules. I started a company called Browserling. And in building that, I like to just, you know, take the pieces and spin off new chunks as new modules. And it's, it's a really fun way to build software that doesn't incur so much technical debt, I think. Um, you're also on the NoteUp podcast quite a bit, right? I don't think we've ever talked about NoteUp on here. It's a great <laughs> podcast about Node. It's really good. Yeah. I should listen to it. Yeah, I've been on there quite a bit. And Isaac is on there, too, and a bunch of other folks. Are they okay with you cheating on them? <laughs> well, I wasn't on the last one, so <laughs> they're going to send a private investigator after you. Yeah, yeah. No, it's all it's all good. Yeah, when that private investigator catches up with you, I want to see those photos. You know, through the window at right. night. They'd probably be pretty boring. Just a computer screen. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that blue glow. <laughs> All right. So, um, Browserify, I had a look at it. It, it seems pretty interesting. It, let me see if I get the, the specifics right and then you can tell me that I'm wrong. Um, but what it looks like is a way to include, um, uh, JavaScript libraries into the browser using node. And I guess it, it uses the require and then pulls those files in and kind of compiles a larger file with all the dependencies in it? Um, yeah, that's mostly right. Um, so what browser, I guess I'll start with what Browserify, what, why I wrote it, and that's still its primary goal. Um, Browserify is for using modules that have been published to NPM in browser code. And that's that's like its primary purpose. But, you know, in doing that, you can also use it for a lot of other things that like um, like just separating out your code, making it modular, you know, because it, it uses the, the node style common JS require system. Um, so, I mean, the, the neat thing about how Browserify works is you don't really have to tell it very much. You can just like give it a file to start with, like an, a, a main.js or something, and um, Browserify will walk the dependency graph of that file, and it'll include all of the subdependencies that it needs to when it you know analyzes all the uh, require statements. And it does that actually by walking the AST of all of the programs recursively. Okay, so it, it seems like this is kind of aimed at making them 
um, available in the browser. Does this work for node libraries as well? Um, so yeah, actually, you can use quite a few modules that have been written primarily for node um, in the browser, so long as they don't do you know too many file systemy or networky type things. But even then, some of those work, which is sort of surprising. Um, so I think that the real niche that Browserify is targeted towards is you know we have this giant you know eleven thousand module. Um, gigantic source of, of value that, that lives online and it's really easy to install things from. And so what Browserify lets you do is you can take all of those modules and just use them in your browser code, even though they might have been written for Node. So do you ever run into problems with uh, maybe uh, libraries that you're pulling into the browser that don't have a compatibility with the browser or calling things that are only available in Node? Um, yeah, uh, especially if you're, if you're sort of... <laughs> doing a lot of crazy experiments. Um, like this week I've been playing with getting a Isaac Schluter's uh, node tap module running in browser and run into a few things, but it, it hasn't been too bad. I got it working pretty easily. I just had to shim out a couple of couple of things that were different. Like, you know, there's no process dot standard out, for instance. Right. And when you shim those out, do you usually just translate them to something that is comparable in, in the browser? Or do you just basically, you know, take take inputs and then return a gee thanks, I got it or what? Um well there there are a couple of approaches. I mean one is that you can just attack the API a little differently, so you don't hit those uh, those code paths. Uh, another approach is you can actually have a browserify field if you're the maintainer of the package in your package.json, and with that you can actually have sort of a, a two-sided library where you have a code path that goes to browser code and a code path that goes to Node. And so, like for instance, I'm using that with Dnode so that you can like require Dnode in the browser and it resolves to one code path and requiring dnode and node goes to another one, but they, they actually have a lot of shared libraries past that point. Okay, cool. In fact, yeah. So is there a real difference then between um, libraries that are designed to run in the browser versus the ones that are designed to run in Node? Designed. Well, I mean... Well, or built, I guess, but yeah. Right. Stuff that's been written specifically for the browser, like stuff that does DOM manipulation, usually won't work in Node. And, and there, there are actually quite a few libraries now that are that are like that, which is kind of neat because you know they're just piggybacking on top of NPM, which is this wonderful distribution channel for getting code out, not having to you know copy it or remember some some URL. Uh, yeah, there isn't, I can't think of too much code that's just written for the browser that is taken back to Node. But if you do it the CommonJS style, some of that stuff will just work so long as it doesn't touch the DOM or the window object or anything silly like that. Right. So it seems like um, Browserify is, is geared towards people who write code in Node who also want to do stuff in the browser. And then there's a bunch of other package managers that do stuff with AMD. And I feel like AMD is kind of more geared towards people who have been writing JavaScript in the browser for a while and don't come from Node. Is that how you feel too? I mean, it seems like if you write Node, um, you're much more likely to use a CommonJS style thing than uh, an AMD style thing. Yeah, I would I would say that's generally pretty accurate. Um, like, I mean, that's sort of why I wrote it, right? I wanted to write code in the Node style and use modules from NPM that are all written in the Node style. And, you know, not having done a whole lot of AMD stuff 
or not any actually, before writing Browserify, you know, that, that didn't really even inform um, my initial design vector, I guess. <laughs> of course, now I know a whole lot more about it. And there actually might be some ways in which you could take like a, a loader and bolt it onto Browserify that's that's AMD based, for instance, but haven't done much work with that quite yet. Is that something you want to do? I mean, do you want to make it so it could work with AMD modules or something? Well, I wouldn't mind having it work with certain kinds of, well, c- certain, like like the AMD loaders, I think would be a much better uh, way to interface with AMD libraries than, say, you know, adopting the define syntax. And, what do you and mean kind you of, say AMD loaders? Uh, the, so, like, most AMD libraries are split up into separate packages. You have the loader, which like does all the asynchronous requests and um, okay. puts them in a blob or whatever they do. And the other part is just uh, like the well, I guess there are a few things, but uh, just sort of the defining syntax. Like you put this thing in top of your code and this thing in the bottom. Not, I'm not too keen on that part of it so much. Where you know you're you're writing like you're you're manually specifying your dependency list. That seems like something that the computer should be doing for us. Mm-hmm. But I'm not I'm not so opposed to some of the stuff in AMD because I think it could work really cleanly with Browserify and people wouldn't really have to care that they were using AMD necessarily if it's done in in, in a particular way. I guess that that question is really like, do you want Browserify to take over the world? You know, like instead of just <laughs> for the people that write want to write code, like no, do you want it to be the package manager? Brew all package managers. Well, it's it's not a package manager. I mean, all it does yeah, is it, manager, sorry, the, the it, loader, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's like I mean, all it does is it just takes the way that Node does packages and it makes that work in the browser and it lets you, you know, use things from npm. I guess you know, I I think that that having some diversity in, in package management is probably a good thing because you know we can try different approaches and like there there's one use case that Browserify is not very good at right now and that's something that integrating with AMD systems would be probably beneficial. Um, that's where you have, you know, a sort of multi-page app where you need to sort of carefully curate your dependency graph so that, you know, you have your your bucket of shared libraries and that gets loaded and cached like on the, on the first page view, but then maybe you have separate code for each of the pages, but you don't want to load it all up front. Maybe you have like a, a special widget that takes a lot of code, but it hardly ever needs to be shown in your single page app. And so you want to like progress load that only when you need to. So, I mean, that's that's sort of what AMD is built around. But I haven't done too much experimentation with sort of um, partitioning the dependency graph, I guess, would be a good a good term for what that process would be all about. Although sure. I do have all of the libraries in place to build these dependency graphs. So partitioning, mostly just a matter, I think, of picking the right interfaces for like, how so users can interact. Have you played at all with uh, OneJS or EnderJS or PacManager? Or I think there's a uh, like another two ones that have got some traction. Um, I haven't heard of Pack Manager. I have heard of Ender and One JS, uh, but I've only played with Ender of all of those. I played with some other ones, but they well, I I was the one that wrote Pack Manager, and I haven't really given it a lot of PR because meh. But um, they seem to all kind of have the same idea, except yours is the only one I know of that does the AST. I think the other ones were just like regexing and doing really stupid things to <laughs> kind of try to find what the requires are. Um, but uh, it's it seems like we could benefit from having 
um, some sort of common thing in, in NPM because so for Browserify you've got your Browserify tag and that and that defines entry point the entry.js is that um, right? Well, that's that's one way of doing it. It's sort of an obscure way actually. The, I mean, the the primary way that people use the tool is uh, you know, there's a Browserify command and you just do Browserify and you do like file.js and then you know you can that just dumps text to your screen or you can like dash o to write it to a file if you want. But if I if I have a package in npm that I wanted to wanted Browserify to know that it should use a different entry point or something because oh yeah so yeah that's what the Browserify field is for yeah right so, so then, Jay, you're saying you want something in npm for browser stuff like some common yeah it's like a browser field like there's an engine field and then and then have us all kind of use the same thing until one of them wins yeah I don't know I mean I don't think that npm necessarily has to like officially bless any one particular style. I think that that sort of oh, stuff. No, no, no. I mean, like, I mean, like, uh, you know, use the same, use the same field. So that if, for example, you know, the Ender packages they have kind of like an entry.js type thing, and the some of the other ones do as well. Uh, one JS has got something like that. It'd be nice to to somehow see these things become compatible. Ah, well, actually, with with Ender, it's a little different. Um, so Ender has its fields, but then so with with most Ender packages, they also have a main field. And I'm actually like using a bunch of Ender packages with with a lot of the stuff that I've written in um, with Browserify. Cool. Uh, so like I'm thinking of the DOM ready one or Post Message. Those are those are some nice ones that were they were were written for Ender, but work great with Browserify. I think I sent one patch that was just something really trivial and silly to make it work with Browserify for a post message. Mm -hmm. But yeah, those already had a main field, so Browserify just knew what to do with those. I, I don't even know why you would need a separate uh, Ender field, actually, for those, but like the Ender thing probably wouldn't work because Ender needs a little bit different uh, machinery. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, let's say you've got a, uh, some sort of package that has things, like you, you want to create some abstraction layer. Uh, say you've got a module that you want to abstract, you want it to work in the browser, you want it to work in Node. You have to have some sort of way to differentiate, like load this file if you're gonna if you're gonna compile for the browser with these shims versus load this file if you're gonna run on Node. So how do you handle that? Um, well, there's there's nothing specifically for shims except through the API. There's like this thing called aliases, which aren't quite the same. But you can sort of do some of the same effects. But is yeah. that like if I require one, if I have a file and it has an alias field, then when I require it, it will require that by the alias? No, the aliases are only in the API. So you can only get at those through the, the actual node module or through the command line tool with Browserify. You can't get at any of that through the package JSON. The only thing that you can get through in the package JSON is uh, just the Browserify, which is just the same as main, but for browsers, basically. So, okay. so I have a question. Um, it seems like this is kind of heading down the road of use, you can, well, it's heading down the road of being able to use code both in the browser and in Node.js. Um, I know that the, the two paradigms aren't completely compatible in all ways, but um, how big a leap forward is this that, that you can sort of compile your JavaScript into a file that you can push up to the, the browser? Um, I don't know about a leap forward necessarily, but it's certainly really convenient uh, because there are all of these modules on NPM. And I mean, as it stands now, you can usually just take the module that you want and just download it, but then you know you kind of have to hack at it to make sure 
that it acts in a way that you would need it to to make it work in the browser. But with, I mean, Browserify, all it does is it just lets you use that without having to mess with the file contents itself. So it's not really too much that's so different about that. But I think what's really cool is um, a lot of the the extra stuff that's emerged on top of it. Like um, like there's a crypto Browserify now that's sort of like a, a start at porting the core crypto library so that you can require crypto browser side mm, and it only has a few things but it's it's really neat that that started and like there's also one for buffer and then uh, I wrote one for VM and there's also HTTP which is kind of fun because it isn't the case anymore but for a while you could just require request in the browser and you could do uh, a lot of the simpler kinds of HTTP requests with that wrapper although I wouldn't advise doing that because there's a better module called browser request but <laughs> it, it was a neat experiment I think right so question the I've been following recently the Harmony proposals for modules so that we can finally get modules in the browser. Ah, yes. <laughs> so I, I saw that you had some comments on that. Could you, could you tell us your point of view and, and what you think? Right. So there's this module uh, proposal going into ES6 called Harmony Modules. And... It has a lot of things in it, I guess. Um, I guess my biggest complaint is that it seems like it's 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 inventing all this new syntax for this um, this use case, which hasn't made itself manifest yet. So, and, it, and it's really sort of divergent from how modules are done in a lot of other places like Node. Yeah, so they kind of have more of a Python-style syntax, if I remember correctly. Right. Well, I mean, there's the the syntax part of it, which is sort of frustrating. I mean, I, I would rather just yeah, I would rather just uh, have a import or a require that just returns a value. I think that that is a lot simpler than having oh, yeah. like custom destructuring built into the the import or the require keyword. Yeah, I don't but, I don't see the point of all that extra <laughs> syntax. Well, yeah. So I've been trying to understand the point, and I was like, um, going back and forth on IRC a bit, and uh, like reading some mailing list posts with uh, D Herman and Brendan Ike, and I guess one of the big reasons why they want there there are a few of them, but one of the big ones is that there's this like sort of nebulous idea that they want to have some sort of macro system for JavaScript, and that wouldn't work well with with just like a really dynamic. Common JS style export system. They need some staticness in there, and then I guess one of the other points was that they eventually want to be able to interface with like uh, libraries written for static languages like C or Java from JavaScript. But I guess I don't quite understand how that ne necessarily entails having uh, this sort of static exporty thing. And there are a couple of just things that really bug me about the the export syntax too. Like like uh, there's this this thing added to export like it's it's export this and you put parens around it and that's like the special the special case for doing like a jQuery style export where it's just a single function and, and it just seems like really foreign to how it happens in Node typically because in Node, I mean, like probably most of the new packages or at least the packages that I come across are just a single export. And, and that's sort of becoming the default case. That and, and it's just weird, I guess, to see this other, like it's still JavaScript, but it's coming from this completely other direction where that use case is sort of this this bizarre novelty that... that yeah, that it's interesting. It's sort of accommodate, but like from afar. It's it's not really embraced, I think, to the extent that it should be. 
So one question that I have about this, um, and this comes out of some ignorance about what you guys are talking about, but if they if they make <laughs> this change to ECMAScript and Node does modules in a slightly different way, is Node going to have to change the way it does this to adapt to that? Or yeah, that's that's the plan. The plan is that whatever whatever does become in the language, Node will adopt just to be sane as long as it's usable. Right. I mean, the only reason Node. What is if it's a, not usable? Well, it. I don't. I don't know. There are eleven thousand packages on npm. Right. I mean, and, we're not going to rewrite all of them. There's going to be some compatibility shim. Right. At and the this, very least. Yeah. And and we can probably preserve the old module system just fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess the I, plus side of that is if the, if the new module system is really terrible and everybody hates it, then we can just keep using the old one. Right. <laughs> tacitly support the new stuff. I talked with Isaac and and others yesterday, and we ended up with a proposal that was completely syntax backwards compatible, or or at least I did. I don't know who agreed with me but basically yeah, I, I actually i read that one but basically it looks like what we have in node today except you return your value instead of exporting it and for node it would be a very minor change but it, it has baked in the asynchronous load and everything the browser needs it just doesn't handle cyclic dependencies as well as some people would like cyclic yeah. dependencies meaning library so, a depends on b and b depends on a right but libraries don't do that that's not the problem so i have an i have an application and i have many modules inside my application and it's very often that there's mutual dependencies within an application okay because i mean code logic just jumps around and the the one particular case that i saw was you have module a that's even module b that's foo or, or even an odd and they're implemented by just calling each other back and forth in kind of this coroutine style fashion and the trick to that is, is that A requires B, but doesn't export its value until after it's resolved to B, but B requires A. And so that's really hard to implement at the package level. Okay. My solution is, well, don't do that. There's ways around that. But that does impose a little more burden on the library authors. But yeah, I figure, I figure if we don't know what's right, go for the simpler solution. Right. One, one thing I really do like about that uh, proposal is like sort of taking Isaac's proposal, which like had the single export idea and just saying, well, wait, isn't that the same as return? We already have return. Why don't we just use that? Also, that'll be really easy to shim out um, for other browsers that don't have Harmony modules yet. So the upgrade path, I think, will be a lot simpler. Right. I mean, we could implement it today very trivially and just play with it. Not, not so much with the Harmony proposal. That requires massive <laughs> syntax changes. Yeah, am I the only one that finds it ironic that we're talking about disharmony over the Harmony? <laughs> well, I think it's really clear that a module system in JavaScript would be really cool, but it just seems like there's a lot of debate on the right way to do it. So, And, and some people are taking the debate as saying we don't want one. I mean, I would I would love one built into JavaScript that would be mm -hmm. the same in the browser and Node, but I don't well, know I think, that... I think it, what we need here is a weighted coin. We take all the packages that are already <laughs> done with CommonJS and we weight the coin with that side. We take the packages that are already done with AMD and we weight it on that side. Maybe it's a three-sided die, actually. It's going to be we take, like a thousand-sided die. It's going to be a, 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 like it's a sphere, basically. <laughs> you it's going it. to be one heavy die. And well, so then actually, we, we take the Harmony spec and we flip it and it's going to land on CommonJS. <laughs> well, actually, actually there's, there's far less uh, difference between AMD and CommonJS than there is with either of those with Harmony. Harmony is like more syntax, syntax that's new. With AMD and CommonJS, you can like pretty much write wrappers for most of the stuff or, or do some hacky things in some cases, like walk the AST. But it's it's not like those 
are so insurmountable. But with yeah. all the static analysis going on in Harmony modules, I mean, like pretty much only browsers are going to be able to support that. So yeah, it just seems like a lot of people have a different idea of how they want it to behave and what they want it to do. And uh, I, I, you know, I think a lot of it will depend on the use cases and and who has a say. So I think we just need to ask all of our listeners to get on ES Discuss and tell them that they're wrong. And- <laughs> And no, to do it the way that, that repeat the yes discuss. Well, tell them to participate. I, I don't even know that that'll be very fruitful. I mean, <laughs> the like there's three people who, <laughs> who who are actually working on harmony, right? There's like D Herman and another guy and uh, and Brendan Ike, I guess. Uh, and they, you know, they're people at the top are are actually involved in this, and and they know what they want with all of the static stuff. But I don't think that they're really communicating it well, and that's why we're seeing so much of this sort of uh, what would I even call it? I guess obstructionism, maybe. Drama. <laughs> drama. Because it seems like it's coming out of nowhere, right? If if you're just like the, there's too much maybe inferential distance between what what the likes of you know the ECMA committee members are doing here and what you know, the average programmer who's maybe used AMD and used CommonJS knows about modules. Right. I mean, not, not everyone who writes JavaScript for a living has time to follow ES Discuss. It's a, it's yeah. a fairly high volume list if you're, if you're a busy person. And I mean, you just want to get work done. You see this cool module system and so you use it and it solves your problem. And, and so you like that. I was going to say, if you're not busy, I want to know you because <laughs> I want to know how you're not busy. But yeah, yeah it, it's if you, definitely if you do JavaScript. You're busy today. Yes. <laughs> Well, if you're, it seems like if you're in a programming field in general, you're busy today, and can I, technology oh. just continues to grow. So it's interesting there. Anyway, can I make a, a change of subject? Okay. I just wanted to ask sub, or I don't know what to call you, James Substack. What do you want to be called? Either it's fine. Okay. Sub well, James. I wanted, sub James. I wanted to ask you about AST stuff because it seems like you have a really low threshold for being like, oh, I can solve this problem by writing something that parses an AST. Like, how do you how do you look at a problem and and realize that's what what you can do and how do you get into that because i think it's really cool but i'm kind of lost about how how that works okay i'm going to stop and mm-hmm. rewind just for a second and ast is an abstract syntax tree right yeah and it's basically a way of breaking down um the code into commands and i'm, I'm not super well, so, conversant so can you explain what it is and then answer jameson's question yeah sure so an ast is just a way of turning uh you know a javascript program like the the source code into a data structure like just really simple you know nested arrays and objects and keys and values you know simple stuff mm-hmm. um yeah, so the the thing about AST traversals is there are really not very many problems that need it or that should be used for it because it's sort of this. this I don't, I'm not even quite sure how to how to describe it, but but like, they're fun problems. <laughs> they are fun, very fun problems, <laughs> and it's super fun if you if you happen to have a problem that works really well with AST traversal. But there aren't too many of them, and I wouldn't go looking for these problems like <laughs> unless you actually have them. Although I might not be guilty of, uh, or I might be guilty of not obeying that myself. <laughs> what if I want to do the Fibonacci sequence via AST traversal? Uh, I wouldn't even know how that would be a thing that you could do. <laughs> no, <laughs> was just, that was a bad attempt at a joke. 
So some something that AST traversals are good at is like anywhere where you need to do things to JavaScript source or anything that seems like it would be impossible because because just the language doesn't allow you to do something. So like uh, for instance, if I mean with an AST traversal, you could you could write a program that takes you know a function and just two strings it and then like looks at all of the lexicals defined inside of it and like rewrites the source so that you can get out all of the the lexicals that are defined inside so all the var statements and, and whatnot or you could like analyze a source for you know all the global defines so, so you the, could write your own jslint yeah you could write your own jslint for sure um or like i'm using it to analyze source trees for require statements um you can use it to like pull out comments and pair them up with functions. So if you want to write like a documentation generator, AST would be a good fit for that, I think. Um, there are lots of things to do with JavaScript source. And, th and there are also lots of fun hacky things too. Like I've got this module called Stackity that actually rewrites the source so it, it inserts functions everywhere, like around every expression, like before and after every statement. And that lets you generate uh, stack traces no matter, no matter what sort of um, environment you're in. So you can be in like a really old, terrible browser like IE7 or IE6 or something that doesn't even have a stack trace API. And you can get stack traces out of it using that approach. Whoa. So Quick question. Sort of, Sweet. How, how do you handle exceptions in that? How do you uh, set the stack? How do you set the stack? Well, you just keep a data structure around, call it like var stack equals, you know. Right. But how, but how do you right. instrument and wrap throw an exception? Oh, instrument and wrap? Uh, you can just like throw try catches around stuff, like around every expression, actually. Oh, I see, and then just rethrow them, and ew. Yeah, it seems <laughs> like it would be really slow, but it's actually not as bad as you might think for the sorts of programs that you would want to instrument, mm -hmm. which tends to be a lot of you know DOM-heavy things. Well, we we wrote a similar tool for Cloud Nine, and we actually instrument the IDE, and we had to write a lot of filters to get meaningful output out of it, but it, it's very useful sometimes. Can I ask another question? Sure. <laughs> um, so you've done some stuff with like Fleet with, with services and, and tools to help you manage lots of services. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, that's a good topic. So I guess one like the thing that Node is really good at, like besides its module system, besides all of that other stuff, um, Node is really good at letting you write network services. So. Uh, you know, you can write write a bunch of um, small little processes that all talk to each other over the network. Basically, you know, you write an HTTP server, and it's like just you know, a simple JSON protocol thing. You write like a simple, you know, Socket.io or Socks.js thing that just does its one thing and does it well in the in the very Unixy tradition. And I guess the the problem with rolling out that kind of infrastructure is that <laughs> you have all of these pieces all over the place, all of these. Little processes and getting them all up and running can be sort of a chore and so fleet helps with that um, fleet has it uses this other module called pushover to to act as a git server over, over HTTP and then it also has this uh, dnode protocol interface so it basically lets you do sort of rolling git deploys for you for a number of drones that you've set up on your backend so you can have all of these drones uh, connected to a fleet hub and then you use the the fleet 
deploy command to push out the latest git commit to all of the drones. Um, and deployment doesn't actually run any of the services, but it just pushes the code out. And then to actually run the services, you can do a fleet spawn or a fleet exec to run processes on the different drones. And you can like spam out the spawns to every single drone, or you can just target a few, or like by default, it just like picks one at random, just something easy and simple to run your process on. And so you can be really, really lazy about this once you have that infrastructure in place and you just like, you know, you fleet deploy your new changes and then you just like copy paste from a text file. You like write a simple bash script that just like fleet spawns all the stuff that needs to spawn and then you're you're ready to go. So long as your infra- like all of your processes know how to, how to set up the connections between everybody, mm-hmm. which can itself be kind of tricky. So I've got some other projects for that. I could talk about those or not. Yeah, so how do you handle dependencies between services? That's been one of our struggles actually when we've, we've started doing more service-oriented stuff, but we've found it to be a headache because services depend on other services. And I don't know, maybe we're just well, doing it wrong. But That's like a perfect lead-in for this other thing I wrote right. called Seaport. Uh, so Seaport is it's a service registry, which means that basically all of the processes that you write connect to the Seaport hub, and they just uh, like register what they are. So that entails, you know, a name and optionally a semver or like just a version string, right? The the major minor patch. Sure. Three numbers. And so I can't name really my cool R2D2? Services. Oh, you could absolutely. <laughs> oh, but then he needs you give, a version. You number. give every service a name and you can give it a version if you want. You don't even have to do that, though. But when your processes need to connect to another process, uh, they query the seaport hub. They say like uh, seaport.get and you can actually give it a semver like with the tilde and the, and the X's and stars and like greater than's, less than's, all that kind of stuff. And you can pick off a service that you know your service is compatible with. And so what's really cool about this is um, like, first of all, Seaport just assigns random ports for everything to listen on. So if you're doing like constant fleet deploys, you're just like spinning up services willy nilly and it doesn't even matter what processes they spin, up, they spin up on because all of that information gets aggregated at the Seaport hub and the services just query not based on hosts and ports, but based on names and semvers. So the network sort of just can like figure out how all the connection should work and, it, and uh, you can like pair that up with a uh, programmable load balancer like and just have that query the seaport hub also so the individual really really oh go ahead oh i was done (laughs) oh so i was going to say that the individual services know the name and the version of the service that they depend on and then they just query seaport to find out where it actually is is that how it works um, yeah, so like if, if you write a service and say, you know, you have an auth service that you want to connect to and you're, you're writing the web service, so you can just like do seaport.query and just say auth or you can give it a, a semver in there if you want, so auth at and then give it some numbers and then you get back an array in a callback of all of the services that match. You can actually set it up so that it... Um, okay, so like that's, what, that's what you meant when you talked about load balancing because you get the whole array so you can bounce people between them. Yeah, if you want. Or like uh, you can call just uh, like seaport.get. And the cool thing about that function is if there aren't any services available, it'll just like it'll just wait until there is a service available and it'll listen for changes and it'll fire that um, when something is available. So you can just like spin up all of your services in a just completely random order. And so long as you're running everything eventually, then it'll all of the services will just connect to each other and be operable. Hmm. That's sweet. Do you know of other people that are using this? I assume you're using it for uh, for browsering, but do you know of other people that are using this in the wild? Uh, I, well, like the people sending me pull requests. <laughs> 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 
you just look in the pull requests on GitHub. That's cool. Um, I have to check this out. Yeah. Yep. Well, this this has been really fun. Um, uh, I think we're going to start heading off toward the picks, unless there's something else you wanted to bring up. It's really cool that we can talk about JavaScript, but while we're talking about JavaScript, we're talking about like this entire range of stuff. Like we, we talked for a long time about browser like code loading and stuff. And then we talked about like crazy network services stuff and it's all the same language. I don't know. I think that's awesome. That's why I like JavaScript. Yep. All right. Well, let's let's jump in and do the picks. Um, Tim, do you want to start us off? Mm. Uh-oh. Tim no. down. Oh, no, Tim's there. Still thinking. I can go. Okay, go. So um, my first pick is a band called The Deer Hunter. There are actually two bands called The Deer Hunter. This one's the D-E-A-R Hunter. It's uh, like melodramatic. I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of like sort of prog rock a little bit, but it's they, they've released this series of albums that's all about the same storyline. So it's kind of cool to see it evolve. It's really good stuff. And then my other pick is... Uh, the Meet the Pyro video that Valve released from Team Fortress 2. I don't know if you guys are, are gamers at all, but Valve is a cool company. They have this cool game called Team Fortress 2, and they've been updating it continuously since like 2007. It's a really old game, but um, they keep releasing new stuff for it. And they also have uh, videos for each of the characters in it, and they're, they're pretty great. So um, those are my picks, just those two. All right. AJ, what are your picks? Uh, first of all, I'm going to pick Interpreted Dance, a blog by Jameson Dance. Oh, jeez. Hosted at jamesondance.com. I love no, that it's guy. Also, it's also hosted at interpreteddance.com. How I did you get that one? I bought it. It was open. Oh, I, I guess it's Interpretive Dance that's the... Yeah, that's the hard one. Yeah. That's a real thing. Interpreted Dance is not a real thing. It is now. I'm not proud of much else about it, though. Yeah. Sorry, that was my phone. Um, so then another thing is I saw the movie Brave. I liked it. It was good. <laughs> That's cool. all. The movie Brave then. All right. Yeah, my, my kids like that one. I haven't seen it yet, though. So hopefully soon. Tim, do you have any picks for us? Yes. So somewhat JavaScript related. I recently ran across a really nice blog post explaining the entire graphic stack in Linux and X and GL and EGL and all this cool stuff. And one of the things I've always tried to do with Node is write desktop apps in Node. I mean, one of the last times I spent some time with James was at uh, Node, what was the name of that contest? Um, Knockout. Knockout. And I was writing WebGL bindings for Node. So you can do browser stuff, you can do network stuff, and now you can do graphical games. And so this article explains really well how it integrates together and makes it a lot easier to get started in that area. Because graphics are incredibly complicated once you get into hardware-accelerated stuff and cross-platform. Nice. That sounds really cool. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and then we'll have James do some picks. Um, my first pick this Tuesday was the primary election here in Utah. And um, I know we're now past the primary elections because Utah is, is one of the last ones. But uh, I just really want to encourage everybody to go out and vote. Um, one thing that I noticed was a lot of people were con- complaining about um, Orrin Hatch, who is the senator here in Utah. He's actually one of the senators that sponsored PIP which doesn't make me happy with him. But um, anyway, I heard a lot of people complaining about him, but when it came down to the primary election, he actually came out um, with a 66% to 33% or 34% win over the the other guy that was running against him. And, you know, if if you want to see changes, if you want to make a difference, um, then you need to get involved in the political process. And so I just want to encourage everybody to do that. Um, We have the general election here in the United States coming up in November. Um, You know, other countries also 
also have opportunities to shape the way that technology works where they live. And so just go get involved, um, be involved, you know, get involved in the, the political parties that are in your country and, and make sure that, that uh, technology has the right voice so that we don't have crazy, stupid stuff getting passed as laws. Um, the other pick that I have, I've been watching Heroes on Netflix. Um, I think we watched the first two seasons, my wife and I did, when it was coming on to TV and uh, really enjoyed it, but it kind of started to, I don't know, we, we didn't enjoy it as much after that. And so uh, anyway, really, really enjoying the first season again. Um, it was good enough to where I actually wanted to watch it again. And one other pick that I'm also going to pick off of Netflix and stuff is um, No Ordinary Family, which is an ABC series. And uh, just, again, really, really enjoyed that. It, it only aired for one season and then they canceled it, but I thought it was pretty good. So if you kind of like the superhero um, type movies, then or movies, shows, then, then this is something that you probably want to watch. And... Um, I think that's it. Um, James, what are your picks? So I've got two related things. So the first one is a music video by Disaster Radio that came out recently called Drop the Bomb. It's sort of this uh, like post-apocalyptic, lo-fi kind of uh, retro future with mutants and vending machines and fun stuff. And uh, one of the guys in the video, and he did a lot of editing for it, um, I know, and he's like stayed at my house when he was in the U.S., he's uh, Dominic Tarr who wrote my second pick, which is a module that Dominic just wrote like uh, this week called Mux Demux, which is really cool because it lets you take a single stream like, for instance, say you're in the browser and you have just a single WebSocket to pass everything through. Uh, with MuxDemux, you can actually take multiple streams and pipe them through that one stream, like the muxing. And then on the other end, you can actually demux them. You can take the single stream and like break it back out into multiple streams. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's really great if you just only have a single stream for whatever reason and you need to pass multiple things through it. Yeah. All right. Sounds great. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Um... I don't know if we have any announcements next week. Uh, I'm not going to be recording any podcasts. So uh, it's the 4th of July here in the United States. So I'm sorry to you international folks. But um, yeah, we're not going to have episodes next week. But we We've will be fire. back on the 12th. What? We've got fireworks to shoot off. We can't podcast. That's right. Well, I'm going to be out of town. So um, it's just kind of a pain to make it work. And uh, you know, eventually I'll get to the point where I can. But anyway... Other than that, I don't think there are any other announcements, so just, just keep an eye out, and uh, we'll talk to you all in a couple weeks.